0: Hello and welcome to EU History Explained. In this series, we try to make sense of today's European Union by looking at its history. In the previous episode, we've seen that European integration started with several projects running in parallel, with the political integration track leading to the not very ambitious creation of the Council of Europe and the economic integration track leading to the establishment of the European Coal and Steel Community. In these years, we also see a third track, that of military cooperation, that starts to develop. Initially, this is not much more than a military alliance, first among Western European countries and then between them and the United States, what we know today as NATO. But in the early 50s, things evolved differently, leading to an attempt to create a fully-fledged European defence but we will see that this attempt will not be very successful so to speak so let's take a look at the international context in which these events unfold it's the beginning of the 1950s and the cold war has been going on for a few years in this context the korean war breaks out what has happened there korea is divided into two states the north socialist and backed by the Soviet Union and a U.S.-backed capitalist South. In 1950, North Korea invades the South. This move spreads panic in the West, as the Korean situation dangerously reminds that of another country that is divided between a Soviet-backed and a U.S.-backed state, this time at the heart of Europe, Germany. Therefore, the rearmament of Germany suddenly becomes an urgent priority for the United States. Of course, this meets the fierce opposition of France. But if the French want to avert this outcome, they must come up with a counterproposal that is convincing enough for the United States. So applying the same logic of Colin Steele, the French Prime Minister René Plévin, proposes in 1950 the creation of a European Defence Community. In other words, a European army in which Germany's rearmament should be framed. The treaty establishing the European Defence Community that gathers the six members of the Coal and Steel Community is signed in 1952. This community, however, as we will see, will never see the light of day. At this point, something quite interesting happens. The military and the political integration track start mingling together. The creation of a European army within the European defense community creates an important issue. Under whose authority will this army be and who will ensure democratic control over it? Therefore, in parallel, Starting from an initiative of the Italian government, in 1952, the six coal and steel community members entrust the Common Assembly with the task of drafting what they call a European political statute, in other words, a constitution for a European supranational political union. The project of the European political community, as it is called, is very ambitious and has a clear federalist flavor. It includes a parliament that is partly elected by citizens and has legislative powers and a common market based on the free movement of persons, goods and capital. However, this project will dramatically fail due to the defeat of the European Defence Community. So let's get back there and see what happened. Once signed, the European Defence Community Treaty needs to be ratified by the signatory states. However, in the meantime, there have been some changes in the international context. First, a change in the US administration brings the Republicans to power. And the new president, Dwight Eisenhower, seems more reluctant than his predecessors to use the US budget for Europe's defence. This instills the fear in some European allies that should the European defence community see the light of day, the US will use this as a pretext to actually abandon their role of guarantor of European security. Secondly, on the other side of the world, Stalin's death makes the Soviet Union look a little bit less scary. Finally, the European Defence Community faces quite some internal opposition in France, where support for the project lies on a very precarious party constellation. Eventually, in 1954, the treaty will fail to be ratified by the French Parliament, and the European Defence Community that was a French creation will be abandoned. When it comes to the military realm, Europe's territorial security will remain firmly under the responsibility of NATO and the United States. The defeat of the European defence community also seals the fate of the European political community. This is the failure of the grand project of a political union for Europe. But it is not the end of the dream of an ever closer union among the peoples of Europe. Europe is therefore left with one successful integration project, the European Coal and Steel Community. Jean Monnet, the French civil servant who first launched this idea, is convinced that this cooperation could be extended to other sectors, such as, for instance, nuclear energy. The Benelux countries are also very much in favor of further integration and possibly to even extending it to all sectors of the economy. In 1955, these countries call on the other members of the coal and steel community to convene an intergovernmental conference in Messina, in Italy, to discuss the creation of a common market. The conference in Messina establishes a committee of the foreign ministers of the six countries, that is chaired by the Belgian foreign minister Paul-Henri Spaak and that is tasked with sketching out a future European economic community and a European atomic energy community. A number of key questions are debated in this phase by the six. One is the nature of the common market. Should it be a mere free trade area ultimately leaving to the member states leeway as to how to deal with third countries or should there also be a common external tariff. Another issue is the tension between the supranational character that was central in the coal and steel community and the intergovernmental character. Finally, the six also debate on whether and how the overseas territories of the Member States should be included in the scope of the common market. The work of the six foreign ministers leads to the signature in Rome in 1957 of two treaties. One establishing a European Atomic Energy Community, also known as Euratom, and one establishing the European Economic Community. The members of these two communities at this stage are the six founders of the European Coal and Steel Community. France, Germany, Italy, Belgium, Luxembourg and the Netherlands. Euratom's mission, that is strictly limited to civil applications of nuclear energy, is to contribute to the joint development of Europe's nuclear industries by distributing and regulating the use of nuclear energy. The treaty establishing the European Economic Community, on the other hand, is much more comprehensive. It creates a common market protected by a common external tariff, it envisages the creation of a common agricultural policy, and it sets out rules for the free movement of persons, goods and capital. A number of institutions are also put in place. The European Parliamentary Assembly with delegates appointed by the national parliaments, has deliberative and supervisory powers. The council, that is made up of government representatives, is the key decision-maker and adopts decisions mostly by unanimity. The commission is composed of independent members appointed by the government and has the power to submit proposals to the council. The Court of Justice ensures the correct interpretation and application of the treaty. Finally, the Economic and Social Committee is an advisory body that represents the social partners. So in an attempt to limit the supranational character of the new community, instead of a high authority, we now have a commission. And most decision-making powers are confirmed to the Council of Ministers. The question of overseas territories is solved with a compromise. The Euratom institutional structure mirrors that of the European Economic Community, with the Assembly and the Economic and Social Committee being shared between the two communities. The European Economic Community will set the basis of the European Union as we know it today. And its success will strengthen the vision of those like Jean Monnet advocating for sectorial cooperation as the most effective way to achieve European integration. Thank you for listening to this podcast and don't forget to subscribe to our channel. And stay tuned for more episodes about the history of the European Union coming soon. This podcast is co-funded by the Europe for Citizens program of the European Union. European Commission support for the production of this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of the contents which reflects the views only of the authors when the Commission cannot be held responsible for any use which may be made of the information contained therein.